evening, everybody. Or if you're watching online at a different occasion, good morning. <laughs> or good afternoon, or good night, depending on whether you fall asleep in my talk. Uh, <laughs> warm, warm welcome to my new boots. January bargain. Thanks very much. They wouldn't suit you, Andrew, I'm afraid, but you know. <laughs> so anyone else hit the sales yet? Not that we're materialistic and we put the shopping first, no. <laughs> so I just want to introduce you to somebody, um, and her photo is going to come up on the screen. And you might think, where on earth is this going? But this lady is called Claire Sylvia. She's 47. Well, she was back um, when this was reported. And in 1988, she had a pioneering heart transplant operation in America. And a strange thing happened to her after she found she had her new heart. Her tastes and her preferences totally changed. How weird is this? It says... <laughs> And I quote, I started to see people and things very differently. I was given a young man's heart, and I started craving beer, Kentucky Fried Chicken, <laughs> and then it says as well, and also chocolate, which I don't think is limited to young men, let it be known. But her heart was changed, and lots of things in her life also changed. I want to ask us the question tonight, what is God doing with your heart? How is he changing your heart? Because if our personalities change according to our heart, I wonder what's going on. Maybe our preferences start to change. Perhaps our emotions and our temperament starts to change. Maybe even our identity, the very core of us, starts to change. And the word heart has lots of connotations, doesn't it, in the words that we put it in a sentence with. So we might talk about a heart failure, heart attack, having a heart transplant. We might say someone's had a change of heart. We can describe people sometimes, if we're being a bit judgmental, of having a hard heart or a soft heart. And we probably know what that means when we use those words. We have broken hearts kind hearts. We can be wholehearted about something. We can also be heartless, can't we? We can have a heart-to-heart -heart with someone, which means we sort of bear our very souls before them. We can say that our hearts are full or feeling full, or we watch something and our heart melts, and we know what that conjures up in our minds, don't we? And we have heartfelt emotions. So the heart, when the Bible talks about the heart, and Jesus in a minute will hear an amazing quote from him about the heart, it's about the very guts of our lives. It's kind of the generator within us. This is what the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrews thought of the heart as being when they wrote the text that we call the Bible. They were talking about the heart as the kind of chief motivator or almost the motor within us that propels everything else in our life. And our choices come down to our hearts. Our words come out of what's inside our hearts. So what drives your heart and what direction does it go to and who tugs on your heart and what tugs on your heart the most in your life where is it pulling you 
towards, what goes around your mind at night because of what's in your heart. I wonder, I wonder. The Bible's got loads of prayers and statements from people, particularly David the psalmist, who's described as a man after God's own heart. And he prayed this amazing prayer after he just got himself in an absolute pickle. He said, God, create in me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit in me. And he put the two together in the core of his being. Sort this inside bit of me out, he was saying in that. And the writer of Proverbs asks us to trust God with our hearts, guard our hearts. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. What does God want to say to your heart tonight? And here's a statement from Jesus. And Jesus is recorded saying it in three out of the four of the Gospels. These are kind of the books that collate the main teachings and ministry of Jesus in the newer version, the newer part of the Bible, the New Testament. And he was quoting the ancient texts, which were Hebrew prayers that our Jewish friends still to this day pray morning and evening. And part of the prayer that they prayed called the Shema, he said, they say this, which was Deuteronomy 6, 4, and then Jesus quotes it as well. That he says this to them. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. All your heart. So all the guts, the passion, drive of your life, love God with it. With all your emotions, love God with the very guts and drive of you, love God. There's a lovely verse in Chronicles. I love the word chronicles for a book. It's the chronicles of what God was doing in, the, in history. And this is one of the, the verses from it. It says, the eyes of the Lord roam and search the earth, looking for those. He wants to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. So there's benefit for us as his followers when we devote our hearts to God. We devote our whole self all of our failures, all of our fears, all of our future, all our longings, everything in the core of us can come to God and love God. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? There's a picture that I want to look at that isn't a very um, modern, politically correct version of events, but it's an ancient painting by a chap called Jean Bernot. And he has painted his kind of insight of Mary visiting the house of Simon the Pharisee. I think it will come up on the screen. Can you see that roughly? Um, they're very white, <laughs> which they definitely wouldn't have been. And <laughs> they're very suited and booted. Again, they would not have been. But I quite like, and Mike made a point earlier, he said it captures the heart of what was happening in that moment. They're all very kind of, everything's going to be right. We're very appropriate around here. We do things properly around here. And we sit around correctly around here. And we are inviting Jesus in here. And in Jesus came. 
And then on the ground, with these very formal people, these very formal, uptight men doing things the right way, and honestly, there's nothing wrong with trying to do things the right way. I quite, I quite have a fondness for that, to be honest. But um, there's something in the, the atmosphere and the spirit of it all that was all a bit awkward. And in comes this lady, who we find out in a minute, she's called Mary. And she found out Jesus was at this house, and they're called the Pharisees, so they were the re religious leaders of the day. And she just hurls herself into this kind of meal. Can you imagine the scene? This is why I quite like the painting. She hurls herself in, and she kind of hurls herself towards Jesus. She starts sobbing, rubbing her hair on his feet. Can you imagine the scene? You're like, what is she doing? And we're going to follow the interaction, but I wanted you to see the painting because I thought it captured the kind of heart of the matter, really, about what she was doing, hurling herself in. So we're going to read it in the actual Bible, which is always a good place to start. So either turn there or follow on the screen in Luke 7. And this is what happens. And I think it captures the heart of the matter about how we could love God with all our heart. And I think it's a sort of... I don't, it sounds a bit clunky to say prototype, but this is an example of what it could look like in our everyday life to just love God with all our heart. So this is what happens. I've kind of told you a bit what happened already, but you can imagine it now. So Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Already, Jesus has accepted an invite in <laughs> to someone's house. He doesn't mind who. He doesn't mind if they're stodgy and religious. He doesn't mind if they're not stodgy and religious. He will go anyway. And I just want to say today, if you invite Jesus, he will come. He will come to your life. He'll come to your heart. He'll come to the house of God, the church, the family. He's here. I wonder if you've clocked it <laughs> amongst the singing. He's actually here, the spirit of Jesus. He's in the building. At home, he's in your building. And he's come here, and he's reclined at the table. He's perfectly at home <laughs> with us, no matter what we're like. And then this is where it sort of gets a bit comedy, I suppose, if we were there. Verse 37, a woman in that town who'd lived a sinful life, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. And so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. I love it. The word gets out about where Jesus is and people want to be there. People are desperate to know about Jesus. They actually are. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. It's the people who explain, that's Jesus you're looking for. That's the problem bit. <laughs> the hunger for truth and hope and Jesus is in our world. And people will start coming, <laughs> whether we realize it and acknowledge him ourselves or not. And she has come because she's so desperate to see Jesus. And she stood behind him. She's burst into this house uninvited. And she's standing behind him. And she's weeping 
over his feet. And then she gets her hair (laughs) to dry them off because no one gave her a towel and no one wiped Jesus' feet, even though he was supposed to be the honoured guest. They hadn't kind of clocked who he was to them. But she had. She knew he was there. And so she wipes her hair on his feet to dry off the tears. And then she kisses his feet. And she pours her perfume all over his feet. Just doesn't even think twice about it. No sense of etiquette or anything. Just goes in. And then the Pharisee who'd invited her saw this. He said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him and what kind of a woman she is. She's a sinner. (gasps) Horror. (laughs) Welcome to the club. (laughs) Welcome to the We Need Jesus Club. Honestly, welcome to it. Everybody here is. We all are, aren't we? Broken. But she's the one who knows she really needs the Lord. And he's kind of missed it, hasn't he? He's missed who's with him and what kind of saviour he was. And so Jesus turns to him, and he's quite gracious, really, in the way he does it. I'd really be quite mad. But he said, Simon, because this is the guy whose house we think it was, he says, Simon, I've got something to tell tell you. And Simon says, tell me, teacher. And this is, I think, sometimes the interesting thing about our relationship with God. Who do we call him to us? You see, he called Jesus a teacher. <laughs> He's, he wants to kind of learn about him. But there was something in the spirit of that lady who didn't really just want to know about Jesus. <laughs> she really wanted to have a relationship with him. She wanted to be close to him. She didn't think twice about charging in where he was just to be with her. And so for her, he wasn't just a teacher. He was someone she wanted to know. I wonder who Jesus is to you. Perhaps he's just giving you life coaching. (laughs) He wants your heart. (laughs) He wants your heart, not just to give you instructions. Anyway, Jesus starts to explain to Simon in this really great way. He's good at illustrations, wasn't he, Jesus? He said, well, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. It's like this, Simon. There's lots of debt going on. One owed 500 denarii. That was like a year's worth of resources that he would have got. And the other person owed 50. Neither one of them paid the money back. But he just wrote the debts off. He forgave both of the debts. He cleared them. Can you kind of get the metaphor here? He cleared them both. But which one is going to love him more? And Simon says, well, probably the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And so Jesus says, yeah, you've judged that correctly. And we all owe God an awful lot. There are things we're sitting here completely free of, or maybe have escaped us because Jesus intervened early, that we have no idea of that we've been forgiven from. Every single thing we owe to God, to sort out, to set right. He's totally cleared it. And that lady, charging into the house, hurling herself at Jesus, sobbing before Jesus, she got it. She got it. 
She knew what she'd been forgiven from, and it meant she was quite audacious and sort of looked a bit crazy to everybody sitting around. But anyway, he turns around to the woman, and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? See this woman? I came into your house, but you didn't give me any water. I'm supposed to be the guest, and you didn't even treat me like a a valuable guest. You sort of just ignored me there. And normally, the culture of the day was to wash feet. They didn't even do that for Jesus. They sort of took advantage of him just being, oh, it's just Jesus. He'll sit there, have some food with us. It's not good enough, is it, (laughs) here? It's not good enough to just have invited him. So Jesus says to to the man, he's like, you know, you see her. She, She clocked me. She noticed I was present in your house, even though you sort of dropped the ball on it. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and then wiped them with her hair in the absence of a towel arriving. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. Strange, right? (laughs) But incredible. You didn't put any oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. Love God with all your heart. Her great love knew the mercy. It was motivated by the mercy of God that she knew had happened over her life. And then he says, but whoever's been forgiven little, loves little. And I'm telling you, we've all been forgiven quite a lot. There's all sorts of things I know in my heart and in our hearts that are a bit broken and messy. And if you were to see them all, you would drag me off this stage. (laughs) Because we're all just human, aren't we? And we need a saviour. And Jesus is present in this house right now. Not just sort of over there to give a nod to, to get some teaching from. He's actually here with us by his spirit. Wherever we are, he is. And he says to this lady, how precious is this? Who everyone else judged, wanted to keep away. But she got it. He said, your sins are forgiven. You're totally off the hook on everything you owe me. And we do owe God. But he's paid it all. He's paid it all. Sins are just the disappointments that we carry ourselves, the the way we've disappointed God, the broken stuff in our lives. And so all the other guests, they began to say amongst themselves, who does he think he is? He even forgives sins. It's just so shocking to them because they want to do things right. And Jesus just says to this lady, to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And I wonder whether Jesus wants to say that and remind us of that phrase tonight. Your faith that you have in Jesus Christ has actually saved your life You might not even know how many times. (laughs) He has saved you from eternity of being separated from him. 
from his presence, from his power. And he's accessed the whole of heaven to come to earth in your everyday life. And all we have to do is ask and go beyond just an invitation, come to my house, come to my life. Actually involve him, (laughs) come to him, sob at his feet, (laughs) crack open our most valuable things before him. Paul wrote a letter to the the Philippines, Philippians, Philippines? (laughs) It wasn't the Philippines, that's a totally different place, but I'm sure the Philippines would very much enjoy this letter. (laughs) He said this, everything else is just totally worthless compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else. I count it all as total rubbish for the sake that I could gain Jesus, gain Christ. The psalmist writes, who have I got in heaven but you? And who on earth would I desire beside you? psalmist also writes, I'm longing, I'm fainting to be in the courts of God. With my whole being, my body and my soul, I want to come joyfully to the living God. And the psalmist also writes, like a deer panting for water, desperate, I'm panting for God. I'm panting to know my God. How's your heart? (laughs) What's pulling your heart? What's distracting your heart? What's dividing your heart? What's breaking your heart? What's hurt your heart? I wonder if God wants to minister to your heart. (laughs) Love your heart. He's close to a broken-hearted one. God starts affecting hearts and everything changes. During the 1940s and 50s, I've been reading about a revival. This is just where literally it means faith suddenly got revived in a specific place. And in the Hebrides in Scotland, people started randomly turning up a police station. And they started like knowing something was wrong and they felt really guilty for it. And they just started confessing all these things that they'd done wrong in their lives. And the police were like, "Uh, (laughs) I don't know what to do with this. And they called this guy called Duncan Campbell, who they knew was a Christian, who they knew had been kind of around the area praying for people and knew about Jesus forgiving sins, totally washing people clean. And they were like, oh, we'll give this guy a call. So this man Duncan turns up at the police station And all these people are just crying, leaning on the walls, sobbing, lying on the ground, crying in the freezing cold in Scotland, right up the north of the country. And he just tells them about Jesus and the saving power of Jesus. He's like, Jesus paid for every single debt you could ever have, everything you've done wrong. And you know, they turned to Jesus. They gave their lives and their hearts to Jesus. And it started this kind of bubbling. And he, he was saying about it, he was like, it's nothing to do with me, this guy Duncan said. It's God. He started to move in their hearts. 
and they came to him. They were aware of their very worst, but they then realized Jesus could give his very best. And he did. God gave his very best. He gave his son for us to pay for the price of everything we did wrong. And there's a, a, a hunger I think God wants to put in us again <laughs> to not just come and listen to good teaching <laughs> or read the Bible and say to Jesus, oh yes, thank you very much, teacher Jesus. Like, what about friend? What about saviour? What about Lord? That's who he is. And when, you, when we, we don't really use the word Lord much in our everyday life, but when we're saying Lord Jesus, we're saying you have total dominion over my life. I want to make my thoughts your thoughts, my hands your hands. I want to have the mind of Christ now. I don't belong to me anymore. I've died really, but I've risen with Jesus. I'm not even my own now. I've been bought at a very expensive price. And the very least we can give and give to God is our hearts, <laughs> really. Because it's, it's the guts of us. It's the decisions that we make. And so this lady, Claire Sylvia, when she had that heart transplant and she started taking on the traits of the boy <laughs> who liked KFC and had quite different music taste to her as she started suddenly liking this weird music and eating loads more chocolate than normal. Sounds a great heart to have had. What if we took the heart of Christ? Because <laughs> he wants it. <laughs> and he'll bring his heart to you. And that phrase, which actually was in response to a question, what's the most important commandment from the Old Testament? It was kind of a trick they asked him that question. But he said, love the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord with all your heart. And everything else is nothing then, is it? <laughs> if we're facing that direction and being pulled in that direction. So I'd just love to pray for us that we... I guess it's a hunger that he wants to stir in us. It's a drive towards the presence of Jesus and the power of God now. Rather than just like, thank you, you've come in, we're all sitting nicely, thank you very much for your teaching, good night. <laughs> no, he wants the guts, the emotions, the stuff in our hands to come to him. So I'm just going to pray for us that God will do a bit of a a work on our hearts. So why don't we just put a hand over our physical, tangible heart as a kind of representation, remembering what these ancient Hebrews felt the heart was. It was the source of our life. It was the center of our decision-making. It's where we stored everything of our lives within ourselves. That's what they felt. And to love God with all of that just imagine what he could do with us all. People would charge in our house saying, I must know this Jesus. People would pour their guts out on the steps of police stations because they're suddenly aware of their brokenness in their hearts and their need for God. Are we? God, I, I, I want to pray you do this for me. <laughs> not just for all my brothers and sisters here tonight, but all of us, we just say, help us be hungry for you, Jesus.
Help us our hearts to be desperate for you, that we would charge through a room and get at your feet, that we would sob out our guts because we're aware of our, the messy things in our lives that have hurt you and hurt others. That we would hear you say, our sins are forgiven, that we can go in peace. And Lord, help us to love you as Lord. We say we're not the boss of our own lives anymore. You paid for us. We cost Jesus his life. And we just remind ourselves to get rid of any self-pity. <laughs> and just, we sort of tell ourselves we belong to Jesus now. We'll love you, Jesus, with all our hearts. Help us, God. And stir up that passion and hunger for you and your presence. Not just to know your teaching, but to know you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Help us to love you more, Lord. Help our hearts to be on fire, a faith that's on fire. Ignite our hearts. And an ancient prayer that the church used to pray was, send the fire of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And I pray that, God, send the fire of your Holy Spirit upon our hearts. together and as we take we physically take something into our body <laughs> and as we do that it could be an invitation for you for the first time to say to Jesus come into me <laughs> whatever you feel about the metaphors of the bread being Jesus's body and the wine being his 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 um, blood poured out for you on that cross. Just imagine as you take communion, you're saying, Jesus, come more fully into me. Or for the first time, live in me. Come and transform my heart. Give me your heart. Take my hard heart and give me your heart, God. Heal my heart. Think about what you feel the Lord could do for you as you do that. So I'm just going to ask us to sort of wait. And I, I don't know who's leading communion. Is it Andrew? He's going to come up. But why don't we just take a moment to just say to God, I want you in my heart afresh. Help me love you, God, with my heart. And then when we're ready, let's take it really seriously. God, I take you into me. Your power and your presence, I need.